And now a reading from the Gospel according to John, chapter 20, beginning in verse 19 through 31. It was still the first day of the week. That evening, while the disciples were behind closed doors because they were afraid of the Jewish authorities, Jesus came and stood among them. He said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. When the disciples saw the Lord, they were filled with joy. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As God has sent me, so I am sending you. And then he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. And if you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you don't forgive them, they are not forgiven. Thomas the one called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. The other disciples told him, We've seen the Lord. But he replied, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger in the wounds left by the nails and put my hand into his side, I won't believe. After eight days, his disciples were again in a house and Thomas was with them. Even though the doors were locked, Jesus entered and stood among them. He said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. Look at my hands. Put your hand into my side. No more disbelief. Believe. Thomas responded to Jesus, My Lord and my God. Jesus replied, do you believe because you see me? Happy are those who don't see and yet believe. Then Jesus did many other miraculous signs in his disciples' presence, signs that are not recorded in this scroll, but these things are written so that you will believe that Jesus is the Christ, God's Son, and that believing you will have life in his name. Here ends the reading. May God grant us wisdom and courage. Or interpretation. Sheree and I are both fully vaccinated against the virus, and, and we know that, and we trust the vaccine. But our faith in science does not give us license to be stupid or irresponsible. We know that the vaccine is something like 90 to 94 percent effective, but we don't know on what side of that percentage we stand. We know that even though the chances are that we cannot catch the virus, we still might be able to carry it and transmit it to others, other people. So <clears throat> we have ventured out just a little bit, having been vaccinated. We've gone out to eat once, maybe twice in a year, but we wear masks and we avoid crowded places, and we've done this only since we've been vaccinated. Now, we like to think of it as a sort of healthy, realistic, responsible skepticism. One that does not weaken, but in fact, strengthens our faith in the vaccine. Maybe that's what Thomas was exhibiting on that first Easter evening. Maybe we would be a little closer to the truth if we started referring to him not as doubting Thomas, but maybe as reasonably skeptical Thomas which, by the way, is very different from being cynical. A straight-up doubter who is dead set against having their mind or their heart changed 
Well, that is something beyond being doubtful or skeptical. That, my friends, is what we call cynical. But someone who is skeptical and yet remains open to new information and possible transformation, I like to think of that person as a reasonable skeptic. As it applies to faith, I like to call this kind of faith an open-door faith in light of this story we read today. The disciples' door was shut in our story from the Gospel according to John. But fortunately, the door to their hearts and minds was quite open. And that even applies to Thomas, who gets a bad rap sometimes. But from where I sit, he may actually have had the strongest faith of any of them. We certainly have our share of cynics when it comes to many things today, but particularly, it seems, as it applies to the COVID vaccines. 25% of Americans surveyed by Monmouth University say they will refuse to be vaccinated against the coronavirus. Of this one in four Americans who said that, 36% of them were Republicans, 31% of them were independents, 6% of them were Democrats. These adults say they will not accept the vaccine. And that's in spite of the fact that 60% of Americans view the government's handling of the vaccine rollout as positive. So, what's the deal with that one in four who refuse to get vaccinated under any circumstance? It seems as though they're not just doubters, they're not just skeptics, maybe they're cynical. Or am I wrong? Maybe they're skeptics who are just waiting to be persuaded by some reasonable and responsible evidence and argument. In Texas, 59% of white Republicans say they will not get the vaccine, calling it a liberal power grab. Count them in the cynical column. Case in point, cynic Adam Elwanger, professor of English at the University of Houston downtown campus, writing for humanevents.com, who insists that he is not a lunatic because he gets a flu vaccine every year. But he's not getting the coronavirus vaccine because, well, for various reasons that we've all heard umpteen times. According to him, those reasons prove that skepticism about the vaccine is a, quote, rational response. But a skeptic is, by definition, still persuadable. A cynic? most likely not persuadable. Skeptics are willing to be persuaded. They just want to see the evidence. They just want to see or to experience the facts firsthand. Um, skeptics get a bad rap, in my opinion. A certain amount of skepticism can actually be quite good, particularly in matters of faith. Now, some of you are already skeptical of this Bible story from John's Gospel we read a moment ago, if you're being completely intellectually honest. Because, after all, when is the last time anyone actually walked through a closed door or through the wall to get into a room? If you're skeptical, you have good reason. In fact, many scholars point out that this story was probably not told to be taken in a literal way, and that the original crowd hearing this story would have known that this was a spiritual and symbolic story by the fact that the author mentions that the door was closed. You see, the door being closed in that culture, a scene with supernatural-sounding traits that was set 
behind a closed door in one room was often code to these first century people that the struggles being written about and told about were happening inside the ones in the story. A spiritual sort of internal struggle was being described in a creative format with stories like this. The disciples were not out in public. They were tucked away, door shut, indoors. Now, if you still choose to see it as a historical, literal event, as many do, that's just fine by me. I actually think faithful people can arrive at similar conclusions interpreting this story differently. I just wanted to give those of you who have a healthy dose of skepticism about these types of Bible stories another way to think about this one, so that the deep universal truths found in this story do not end up being dismissed lightly. I believe this story was describing myself an internal spiritual symbolic struggle the disciples were really experiencing within themselves. Now somehow we've been conditioned by the loudest religious voices in our culture, either fundamentalists or evangelical Christians, that anything but certainty, absolute certainty, is, well, less than faithful, even sinful. Now, certainty can be comforting because it feels simpler and more concrete. It feels safe. Certainty is satisfying. It sells many a book, both on the self-help columns and religious columns of bookstores. Uh, certainly, certainty fills pews in church buildings quite easily in this part of the country. And these circles of Christianity, the locations may be different, but the narrative is basically the same. Faithfulness has wrongly been associated in these circles with certainty and simplicity. Thomas was anything but certain. But no one condemned him for being skeptical, not the other disciples in the story, not Jesus, not God, as far as we know. Church, we have not only allowed the lies about certainty to dominate the religious landscape, but the entire shape of the story we call our own story of faith. I think we must rid ourselves of the need to feel certain and to appear certain, and then the self-inflicted guilt that we tend to heap upon ourselves for exercising a healthy skepticism in private. Instead, I think we must learn to focus on authenticity. The irony of all of this today is that folks like us in our congregation are often called progressive Christians, but the story we tell, the narrative, is actually a much more ancient way of being faithful that looks a lot more like the faith of the disciples and earliest Christians, and even and especially looks an awful lot like Thomas. You know, the loudest religious voices in our culture the modern so-called evangelical movement is actually a fairly recent phenomenon with major parts of their theological beliefs and culture being less than 150 years old. If you listen to the big pieces of their narrative, their theology, here's what you normally hear. See if this sounds familiar, maybe even natural as you hear it, maybe correct as you hear it. Here's what they say basically in the big picture. God created the concept of sin. God made all people sinners. God created a place for all sinners to go after they die and suffer. 
and, in a moment of mercy and goodness, call it a twinge of divine guilt, God had second thoughts and created an alternative place for true believers to go as a reward for their mental certainty of all the rest of the above, including certainty about who Jesus was and what he did and didn't do. Somehow, that narrative has become almost like the fast food version of Christianity. And there's a church, just like McDonald's, on nearly every corner in Oklahoma that has bought into that narrative. They claim orthodoxy and certainty for themselves. Very convenient, isn't it? And if you really look at it, it's actually anything but good news. If that story, if that narrative is accurate when told that way, is God really good at all? And there is such pressure in these circles to comply with the party line of this narrative that doubts and skepticism and shaky faith are all signs of weakness and a lack of faithfulness. Free thinkers are not welcome, only those who conform. Doubters, they're best, you best keep quiet for fear of being shunned and judged by the church, and even worse, in their view, by God. But thanks be to God, there is a better way of telling the story that leaves room for healthy skepticism, intense questioning, room to roam, to explore, to be creative, to doubt. As theologian Paul Tillich once said, doubt is not the opposite of faith. Doubt is one element of faith. So, friends, how then shall we tell the story? Now, our answers may vary, and you know something? That's actually a wonderful thing. But but try this on for size. Here's my attempt at a, a narrative I think is faithful. God created everything and called it good. And when God said good, God meant good. People are not the folk sole focus of creation but rather an important part of creation with free moral agency to make both beautiful life-giving decisions and miserable decisions. To celebrate moments where God seems close and things seem so clear, and to wander in doubt and darkness for seasons of life as well. The love of God continually whispers to us and to all of creation, whispering, encouraging us to work for a more loving and just and peaceful world for all. The transformation of this world is the primary goal of this faith, not an afterlife. This does not exclude the possibility of life beyond what we know. It's just that none of us know for sure what lies beyond this life. But the hell people experience in this life is quite real. But thankfully, the heaven people experience in this life is quite real as well. But certainty is not necessary for faithfulness. Creeds are not necessary for faithfulness. Loving God and loving our neighbor as ourselves is the roadmap. And here's the thing. Loving our neighbor is the only tangible evidence that we actually love God at all. Otherwise... Our proclamation of our devotion to God is just for show. But regardless, here's the part of the story I love. There is always grace, 
in doubt, in fear, in faithfulness and faithlessness, in moments of struggle, as well as success, so much amazing grace. Now, when you buy into this faith narrative, even though you might wiggle around within the story, it is not difficult at all to see how Thomas was anything but condemned for his doubt in this story from John's Gospel. In fact, Jesus met Thomas's request and was prepared, as the story tells it, to allow Thomas to touch his wounded side. But it appears that Thomas was so overwhelmed in our story by the grace he encountered in Jesus' response that he didn't feel it necessary. Suddenly, the picture was brought into focus for Thomas. There was grace. There was no shame in his skepticism. The door of the room may have been closed when Jesus showed up in the story. But do you know what door was always open? The door to Thomas's heart. He had an open door faith, I like to call it, a healthy skepticism. A healthy skepticism of that, like Thomas, remains open to new information, to admitting one makes mistakes, remains open to the fact that there are things one does not already know, and that remaining humble and teachable, well, that's essential for progress and growth. So there you have it, friends. Ask questions. Seek, knock, doubt. And when you read your Bible and you begin to think, hey, wait a minute, that part seems to contradict this other part. You know something? You're actually correct. Because the pages of our scriptures were never written to settle conversations. They were written to start them. And the pages of our scriptures are often filled with human beings just like us, sometimes grasping, sometimes reaching, doubting, growing, other times missing the mark, and, and sometimes our spiritual ancestors' conclusions about their struggles and even their successes, well, they contradict one another. Kind of like how one stream of the Christian tradition today tells a rather dark theological story for their narrative and others of us prefer a more optimistic tone. But those then and those now who practice an open-door faith, those who do not close ourselves off to the possibility of experiencing something in a different way, learning something new, will always, in the most crucial moments of our lives, be surprised by the amazing grace we encounter right when we least expect it. Thanks be to God. Amen.